0: Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleashed and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behavior, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. Everybody. Hello. Hello again. Um, this week, we are talking about helping dogs overcome strange danger to people.
1: Yes, we had a question.
0: Thank you very much. Thank
1: you very much for the question. Yay! We don't have to think about anything. Yeah, it did make our life a
0: ton easier.
1: So much appreciated. Uh, so the question was, uh, one, of uh, someone who has a dog that suffers from stranger danger and they would like to know how to introduce them to people safely. So things that we have done with clients and I've done when I had Archie. Mm. <laughs> um, so I feel your pain and I empathise with you. It's extremely difficult. Um, so we... Andrew! Hello, mate! Hey. <laughs> um, so, we're going to run through this. So, Ian, what are, for those who may not understand what that means in terms of stranger danger, can you explain that for me?
0: What is strange danger? Uh, it's when the dog is sceptical or wary of um, and potentially deems somebody they don't know as a threat.
1: Exactly. And where can it sometimes come from? Um...
0: It can come from previous learned experience. So if somebody if if in the past people have unnerved the dog or give them reason to be skeptical, then it can be quite logical in the sense that, yeah, that dog has learned um, to be fucked by its own experience. Like people can be pretty crap sometimes. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna second guess you. Um, and other times it can come from just generalized anxiety like um, some dogs are naturally skeptical and Mm -hmm. they're just like no no I'm not into this like I would prefer it if people didn't uh, come into my personal space could be lack of exposure so due to a lack of uh, familiarity just the fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. Um, trying to think now what else breed yeah genetics yeah
1: yep So can I ask? I can see the um, that you're here. Can I ask what breed your dog is that you asked the question about? And yeah. how old? If we can get some a little bit of background, we might be able to help you a little bit more specifically. Because we can give you some generalized stuff.
0: Breed will matter like a lot because you know, you've got breeds that are skeptical for different with different like Motivations. Typically, of course, we never want to like paint all dogs from the same breed with the same brush. But mm. if you've got a guarding breed that is showing scepticism, you might not be looking at fear. No. You. Yeah.
1: Great Dane cross Mastiff cross Found.
0: Okay, thanks. That's uh, nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Uh, and what age?
0: Age is again like really important because you know you, if you've got a, an adolescent or a puppy, then there could be something that they are uh, you know it's the, it's the development stage of well, it's naturally natural sometimes to be sceptical because of their age. That's right. Yeah, and and again, sorry for more questions. Thank you so much for us answering them so quickly. But how long has it been going on? Is it something that was there in puppyhood and adolescence, or um, is it something that's happened because three is that tipping point for these large breeds into adulthood out of adolescence? So again, more information uh, needed. Sorry. <laughs>
1: No, so this is why we do ask you guys to to throw us some questions so we can help you. Mm. Um, because when we're asked questions like this, they are very general, and we can give a generalized uh, we can give generalized advice. But every dog and every caregiver situation is extremely different. So we want to be able to help me help you in as specific ways as possible. Because yeah,
0: it's not one size fits all. Yeah.
1: So it's, 10 weeks.
0: So started showing signs of reactivity from 10 weeks of age. Okay. So, and that in itself, like reading uh, the breed, breeds in there Great Dane, Mastiff, Wolfhound, um, it's not a massive surprise. They are breeds that we bred to be skeptical. Like, for natural reasons, for a guard dog that is really trusting of new people is probably a pretty shit guard dog.
1: Yeah, but also during that period of time um, at that young age, those a lot of those breeds do take a lot more time mm. to assess their environment as opposed to, say, you know, a Labrador or a Terrier. Um so we sometimes I'm very skeptical from a young age too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we sometimes misinterpret dogs of those breeds, and we're not labelling any breeds. These are just things that we've noticed as sometimes breed traits for breeds such as, as that. When they're at that age, they are much a lot more standoffish, and we misinterpret that pausing. And taking that time as oh they want me to come and say hello or Mm -hmm. oh they do want me to come and pat them Um, and being of those breeds I can only imagine how cute
0: (laughs) he was at 10
1: weeks old and probably absolutely stunning now um, we as humans don't read those signals so when people see dogs who are what look like just standing there doing nothing they're actually taking in their environment and assessing whether or not it's a threat, what's friend, what's foe, what things mean for them, and that just takes them a little bit longer than, than some other breeds. Mm. So at that age, it's possible, and again, because you know we haven't seen the dog, um, those signals or the lack of signals from, from your puppy at that age were misinterpreted and misread, so people may have come in and that's where you may have started to see that that reactive response because he was either overwhelmed or there was a lot of social pressure on him at that stage. So he couldn't take all that information in at that time. Um, And the instant possible instant, again, I don't know whether it was instant response of of the reactive behavior or if it uh, gradually increased over that time. Um, And then as he's gotten older and now to that point of adulthood where, well, part of my genetics is that I am suspicious of people. I mean, I know I've got calls of... I remember i met an 82-kilo Great Dane um, who had been previously fine with people coming into the house, now was not fine with people, um, and at, it changed quite quickly.
0: Yeah. Uh, the uh, So the, for anybody else listening in... Um, The yes, definitely overly stimulated and maybe flooded him with socialization, with puppy classes, etc. Yeah, and this is what we see is that the dogs, some dogs, and I'll move away from the breed stereotype because we do see it really commonly in those breeds, but it's not limited to. um, We see a lot of dogs that simply find what the average dog can tolerate overwhelming. And Dom's saying there, like the, the absence of behavior, so things like freezing and just stopping in their tracks and taking what can look like stubbornness or mm. uh, even laziness sometimes people brand it. Yeah, um, is the dog communicating, Hey, I, I need more time to be okay with this, and often that time is just simply not afforded to them, so people might like Dom said, see it as an invite. Oh, look, he's he's waiting for me to come over to him, so they'll go and invade his space. Mm. Or if we're holding the leash, we might go, come on, mate, hurry up, and we get him to move. And they're really common things that we would see uh, happen. I don't know about you, but I've seen this happen to these dogs that freeze all the time. Mm. And in terms of overcoming it, right? Essentially we go back to listening to how the dog really likes to process information um, and we work with the dog. That broad statement is true of whatever dog we're working with. We go back to how they like to process information and we, we work with the dog. So if we've got a dog that just likes to take stock, then We need plenty of distance Mm -hmm. and we need to learn how to assess the environments around us. And what I mean by that is, I'm gonna look at people's, I'm I'm normally gonna go to a space without my dog and just watch patterns of movement. I'm gonna watch where people are going, where do they commonly walk, where do they take their dogs, what direction, what footpaths are they following so that I can know my environment better than anyone else and use that information to keep an appropriate distance. And I'm going to let my dog watch that particular dog. I'm going to let my let them watch. I'm going to let them take stock. I'm going to, while they're doing that, I'm going to do very little micromanagement. I'm going to do ve- have very little input. I'm going to keep that dog under threshold by watching its watching their body language. And if I can see that they're showing signs of agitation, whatever that might look like in your dog, like the heavy breathing, the muscle tension. Maybe like too much of a fixed hard stare. Then I'm going to create distance. Um, but it's this particular line of work, like with that particular type of dog, I, it looks really boring. It looks like I'm doing very little.
1: Well, with any with anything like that. Um,
0: hello. Hey guys. <laughs>
1: um, when it when it comes to a dog that struggles with, and when we're talking about. Um, Reactive responses. We do want it to look really boring. Mm. Uh, We don't want it that. Okay, well now we're going to give food to the stranger, and we're going to get dog to go in, be lured in, and conflicted to go and get that food. As you said, allowing the dog to take stock and get to a point where they can go. Yep, good. Understand, and you know the word you said before, patterns. So dogs like that do. All dogs observe patterns. So do we as humans. And when when dogs understand the patterns and movements of certain areas, you know, those sorts of dogs, they don't like to be in busy areas. It's just too much. They can't take everything in, so they get overwhelmed. So the reactive behavior is a lot more prevalent Mm. and the intensity is probably a lot higher. So having a space, as Ian said, where your dog is able to have that moment to go, okay, I see you. And just in terms of what the person, the stranger is doing, they're not just standing there like a pole.
0: Yeah.
1: Have them yeah. having a conversation with someone because what can happen is that person who's standing there like a rigid tree and then that you see your dog go, oh, okay, that's cool, and then the stranger moves. They go, hang on a minute.
0: You yeah. know, that
1: sudden change can then set the dog off. So having the stranger at a distance and they can be walking around or they can be having a chat with someone else, not doing, doing yeah, <laughs> not doing star jumps and backflips and all that, like not so exaggerated, but doing a normal human movement and walking or stopping or you know even just sort of scratching their head but not in the direction of, of the dog and then seeing that watching your dog as Ian said even if it's you know the slight weight shift on on one leg or even if they're back or you know if they see the person and then go yep good and want to disengage you allow them to do that taking that space for your dog to take all of that information in and feel and learn through their own experience, because what we're setting up is the opportunity for them to learn through experience, not throwing heaps of treats around the stranger or anything like that. You can use food in terms of doing a lot of scatter feeding, mm. so you know your dog disengages, or if there's a game that they like. They see the stranger. They take that big sigh, or they do a shake off. So you know, if they do a shake off, that's great. We can see that they were under pressure and they've released that pressure. That gives you that information. Okay, well maybe that distance was just a tad too close. Mm-hmm. I won't go as close next time. Then you might go off and have a game for five minutes. So it's really taking it at your dog's pace until you can see your dog is like, actually, I'm a little bit, you're a little bit curious about you but even then with those movements with, with the curiosity you want to see that the movements are nice and fluid
0: yeah and curiosity is that stage where I see a lot of people fall, fall down because they get they're like oh yes he wants to go and say hello and they he does to a point like what he wants to approach but it's that what I'm looking for when I see curiosity and like the point where I'll actually let them get nearer is you use their like fluidity and things that I'm looking for are like not beelining towards like a lack of intensity. Um, I'm gonna look for um, soft body language, being able to just look at them, but not, you know, with a soft face, not like um, their eyes shouldn't be beady or kind of like desperate in any way. You know, I'm looking for an absence of heightened arousal, so yeah, I'm looking for curiosity but not like the dog the dog that looks like he really wants to engage after being skeptical for that some, for that time. I'm still I'm like that's a that's a massive red flag.
1: And you can see you know the dogs that I've worked with, you know, whether they've been, you know, of, of similar breeds um, when they've gotten used to me, so one particular dog that I was working with, a German Shepherd who you know, spent eight months of his life in a kennel at the breeders and hadn't really seen anyone. So we would do, you know, me just, we'd just do parallel walks. We'd just allow this dog to observe me, do whatever he needed. If we saw any tension, i put distance. So I read his body language mm. and created that space. So we had this dialogue, you know, if he was like, yeah, if I saw a bit of sight, okay, dude, I'm, I'm just going to move away. I would keep, you know, sometimes I'd have my hands in my pockets or sometimes I would have them hanging out, depending on what I observed from him. And then I arrived one day and he came out of the house and he put his head on the side and his body was twisted to the side and his tail was like this and he just did this flyby. Like he just passed me, you know, Mm. just body rubbed me. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) whatever. And then he, you know, he disengaged. I didn't touch him. There was no food involved. And then he went away and then he went, yeah, actually, I really want to come and say hello. Mm. So you know, you know your own dogs and you know when they go, like, you know. Loose
0: and floppy and loose happy. Loose
1: and floppy. Like, you know, when we, that photo I have of you when you came over when we were, I think we were doing a yeah. video or something. And Archie was like, hey. Yeah. And then he turned around and sat and backed into you. Yeah. You know, yeah. that was him saying, you're in my circle now. Yeah. Um, so, you know in terms of when when to feel comfortable, um, and it is about both the caregiver and the dog. Oh, and the
0: other party, and that's really oh, important yeah. because, like, we talk a lot about multiple meet and greets to make sure the dog gets comfortable, but what's happening, It's every single meet and greet, is both parties, both the stranger and the dog are learning how to... Uh, how to, how to communicate, how to read each other, and respond to each other, and that the, both parties don't necessarily move at the same pace. And no. sometimes we see the dog move faster than the person, and the person's like, nah mate, you've barked me a lot. Yeah. I don't particularly know. I, I, you know, you're unpredictable in my eyes." So, and every stranger that we introduce our dog to, like some rules of thumb, you know, to go back to the original question, it's like one at a time. Yeah. Um, it's very different building a relationship between an individual and working on general desensitization to people. Mm. They're, they're, the paces have to move. There's different principles. And what I, I personally feel building a relationship between two individuals is far easier to work with than generalize stranger danger. Um, we approach them really differently. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think, um, and, and it's case dependent, you know, when dog starts to build a group of trusted people mm. or even, okay, so I, I, obviously I'm, I'm going to go back to Archie Solar. I remember when he was displaying, you know, reactivity, obviously anyone that came in the house, uh, walking up the street. Um, and then when I s- changed my tack... So rather than doing counter conditioning and desensitisation, that just didn't work for him. He loved food, but he hated people more. Um, (laughs) When it came to having him outside and off lead, um, I would watch his behaviour and communicate to him. Sometimes I would mark him and, and feed him away. But other times I would just say, and he was like, well, it, he doesn't know what that means, but he seemed to you're good, mate. Do you need some help? And if I moved away, if he, if person was moving towards him and I was like, you're good, mate, or Arch UK, and if he looked at me with stiffness, if I moved away from the area of where the person was, Arch would then create that distance. Mm-hmm. So then he learned, you know, he would check in with me and go, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not what he thought, but that's what it looked like to me. And I would walk away and he'd, and he'd go, yep, cool. And by the time he'd reach me, he'd do a shake off. And the more that happened, he ended up getting to the point where he would got really curious about people. He'd go up and sniff people. Mm-hmm. If they put their hand towards him, he would dodge away. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, that wasn't based around food. That was giving him the autonomy with my help to go, okay, you're out. What do you need? If you looked at me, do you need me to help you over here? Yeah. If I thought he got stuck, I would call him. Um, but he had that ability to create that distance to the point where he then would start to initiate hmm. pats or, you know, back up into, into a stranger that crouched down, you know, at yeah. some six foot bloke, bloke in the park that I was like, still, <gasps> yeah. and he went, yep, yeah, I'm good. I think
0: those, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head and while you were talking, there was another little light bulb that went off in my head but a completely different, Topic. Well, it's, complete, it's completely completely relevant. but we're talking, and we've listed and labelled things uh, that would help with stranger danger, mm-hmm. which is a really specific thing. Which we've said right at the start is where the dogs are really sceptical of people, um, but there's an element of fear in there, right. Before approaching it from the point of view of stranger danger, make sure that that's what you're working with. Mm-hmm. Because those three breeds listed, we just, both of us went, yeah, guard breeds. And that protocol would work for stranger danger. Yeah. Probably wouldn't work great if you're dealing with a dog that's resource guarding the owner.
1: No, that's and be, right. And
0: being protective. Yeah. So I'd be very careful about jumping down that barrel Mm. uh, before getting solid opinion on like from a professional as to whether or not you're dealing with protective behaviour or stranger danger because that just dawned on me I'm like yeah we're just giving advice based Mm. on the the assumption that it's stranger danger but geez, make sure before you (laughs) go and do it
1: yeah well I mean it's So, okay, we're going to ask you another question. Okay. Uh, can you explain what situations this happens in now and what specifically physical movements and behaviours your dog does and at what distance is the human? I know mm. there's like four questions in that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the context matters. So, so okay, you common, do think
1: it's resource guarding you, okay? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the uh, the fundamental difference there is the dog's – level of fear and confidence uh, will vary greatly so if you've got a dog that's resource guarding the owner and protective then we need to basically give a little bit more structure mm. and guidance as to, I like teaching, I like an on duty and off duty cue mm-hmm. and so social positioning like where you are in reference to your dog and the uh, perceived threat that your dog is guarding you from or Protecting you from, um, we need to make sure that we're communicating, hey, I've got this, I, I, you're off duty, man. Yeah, you, yeah, you stay be. back. Because what we were talking about previously, which is more to do with stranger danger, is uh, building confidence, right? And a dog that's being protected with you doesn't need the it's confidence, already, yeah, already yeah. Confident. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it could be like it really could be either. Um, I don't. It, it's hard to know without seeing the dog and laying eyes on the dog. Any strangers near the house, walking by a house, you
1: become uncomfortable. Can you describe exactly what uncomfortable looks like?
0: Hello, Otis. Thanks you for joining us, mate.
1: You don't look uncomfortable.
0: No, he's well. He's eternally uncomfortable. Well, it's this <laughs> look. At his, that's just his personality. he's just Hello. a little bit weird. Hello. Yeah, so for anybody else listening in, it is, uh, comments are, that's a good point, I do sometimes think he resource guards me as well, any strangers near the house, walking by our house, usually within five metres, he will become uncomfortable. Hmm. And... It
1: goes up barking and launching. It goes up barking
0: and launching. It's really hard to distinguish, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, you know... um, it does does your dog hear them or see them or both? Which one does he respond to first, do you know?
0: Mm. And this is a very hard one to test, but it's... Videos. The, videos, but how would the dog respond if you weren't there?
1: Again, videos. Yeah. So, yeah, to, to identify this, if it's, you know, protecting you or protecting house um, or seeing them, okay, do you... Do you have – have have you videoed him when you're not home and do you know if this happens when you're not home? Because I remember um, a client I had that the caregiver uh, thought that the dog was protecting them Mm. because when I first arrived, the dog was barking, lunging at me. Anyway, got to know the dog and then I started to do visits with the dog. Um, I would arrive at the house and he would be hidden – Behind a door. Yeah. When the humans weren't home. Yeah. So there was a level, possible, a level of, I suppose, to humanize I've got back up.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, because when I arrived, he was like, oh, oh my God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that's strange danger. That's, I'm scared of people. Whereas um, protective behavior,
1: yeah. there's no fear there.
0: No. And so little things, uh, one thing that you can look at, like where's the weight shifting when they're barking? And you might not know the answer to that today, but something to look for there is if the weight shift is very much powering forward, then you're probably looking at less fear.
1: We haven't. haven't videoed him, he's generally very quiet and calm to the sound of strangers, and he also can't see anyone from the apartment. So is it, hang on. Seeing them heckles up barking and launching okay seeing them from inside the apartment or when he comes out and how big is your apartment block and do you have a balcony?
0: <laughs> so all these factors it's so much easier when we've got ones yeah. on this scenario.
1: So this just gives you er, you all an idea that you know when we work with people them
0: there is yeah. a lot of
1: questions. Um, because it isn't just a general, oh, okay, so your dog reacts to this. There are so many different variables that we need to take into consideration how the dog is on the day, how's their health, have they been sleeping, do they have any allergies, do they have any medical issues, are there things that are bothering them around them. So, you know, sometimes with dogs who, excuse me, live in busy apartment blocks, they're constantly on edge because I've had so many clients who live in those big, massive Um, apartment blocks where, you know, they, their apartment is across from where the bin disposal is or Mm. they're right next to the lift or, you know, there's all of these other things that, that it has, it, there's a constant stream of people and the dog is constantly on edge. Their nervous system is shot and all because they're just waiting to hear that the rubbish shoot or they're waiting to hear for the lift to go or they're waiting to hear for a door or they're waiting to hear for someone to come past. So having that inability to properly rest, they do become extreme, a lot more reactive because they're just not resting and their nervous system is like, oh, my dear good gods, like, come on. Yeah.
0: Always in it's anticipation a... of the next. Yep.
1: Okay, small block. Are you top floor, bottom floor? He's medicated for anxiety and medication has helped a lot.
0: Great. Yeah. So there's, I mean, they're just goes to show like there's so many things there like even with the balcony um so we have a balcony uh and if our dogs are on that balcony so something like yeah i've talked about this a lot in a couple of the courses but like um the dog is in a position where okay i'm gonna try and rephrase this a little bit the household is made up of different spaces there's hot spots and there's resting spots and there's Mm -hmm. like places where there's food and the dog's just learning by association and the balcony is normally a hot spot where there's normally an external change to the environment likely to happen and something we'll hear a lot like once a week is our clients will go and they'll use the term my dog loves and it's my dog loves sleeping on the front door, the front balcony, the front window, the front porch, the back door, it's always where the point changes and Look, one of my dogs, if he was out there all the time, I could tell you categorically he is just after the sun. He does not give a shit if people walk past because he does not react to them. He doesn't care. But the dog that is out there resting because we think he loves it out there but then is having pops at people walking past probably isn't out there because he loves it. He's probably out there in anticipation of the next change, which can lead to accumulation Mm. of pressure so it's like the nervous system is always simmering so they're just never falling into a deep sleep deep rest so the bodies are not producing serotonin and melatonin they're not able to rest and recover and so they become more sensitive to their environment which increases their reactivity Mm. which then becomes an exasperative, self-fulfilling prophecy because of course when they're out there somebody will walk past they bark they lunch, they practice the behavior
1: see i told you so told you so it kind of makes me think about people at the front lines of war yeah Constantly just waiting for to be shot at, constantly waiting to be blown up or attacked because that, that is the preparedness that their body is in. Um, the,
0: the, the, the analogy I often use is, <coughs> so, I've, so I've just walked into a the, the client's house and tried to explain this. Hey boys, can you uh, stop playing in the middle of this please? Thank you so much. Um, the, don't um, have fun, dogs. Just
1: don't Don't have fun. Don't be dogs.
0: <laughs> the um, Is the oven, right? So say I've just walked into the house with the client and I'll say to them, a normal brain might go to me, hey, Ian, give me two seconds. I just need to check if the oven's up. I was cooking right before you came in. Hmm. And they'll go and they'll check. And that's a rational thing to do because they've had the thought process. And they'll go and check, and one way or another, whether it was on or off, they'll turn it, they'll do the right thing, they'll turn it off. But that's a normal brain reconciles it and carries on with their day. Yep. An abnormal brain sits back down and five minutes later and goes, Hey Ian, I just need to go and check the ovens on. And they'll go and check it and they'll do exactly the same process of behaviour. And this is the balcony where they keep going out and checking. Mm. But then a really crazy brain sits by the oven waiting for it to turn on, while well, then just uh, rocking back and forth. And that's the dog that's sleeping on the balcony all day. <laughs>
1: And, but it is, and it's, you know, it, it, it depends on where, where they are, you know, mentally and emotionally. I know, that, and I know I've done this, if I've had a, a bout of insomnia and I will leave the house and I'll be like, did I close the door? And I will have to turn around, mm. it doesn't matter where I am, because I've, I I need to go back. And yeah. I, that's, you know, I'm not an anxious person, you know, those things. But if I've not slept for consecutive three days Mm. I will completely forget whether or not I close the door so you want to have so where we're getting to with that in terms of and what Ah. I said in (laughs) turn let play um in terms of hot spots you want to have a look at where your dog is resting how often that that he's resting set up a video and see what he's doing when you're not home so you can identify is it something that he only does when you're home and there can be different reasons Mm. for that um Ah. Odie. Let them fly.
0: Oh, that's Django's annoyed voice.
1: You, you can yeah. see in the reflection, Django's like, dude, go away. Otis,
0: ja- Otis. Odie. Um, Good boy. Yay! Um, the, yeah, the, because if the dog's not getting the rest of the recovery they need, then any training we do with Strange Danger or anything else that's trying to build confidence and reduce stress... It's going to be kind of futile because the nervous system was never able to rest and recover in the first place and is not in a good frame of my learning. The other big factor, of course, is any opportunity our dogs get to practice the behavior, such as barking or lunging at people, we want to eliminate. And if that's off the balcony, it doesn't matter. It still needs to be limited to as few as times, if ever.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Because if you, you know, again, if you're going back to the brain, and we're not neuroscientists by any forms of the imagination. no. Um, but in terms of building new neural pathways that are strong enough that allow for the growth of strong synapses for a new behaviour, you have to you have to prevent hello uh, the other behaviour from happening. Otherwise, it's it's just going to constant. When you we see people and like they were really good and then they were crap. They were really good and then they were crap. They were really Because the strength of the original behaviour that you're working with is too strong. That won't allow for a new habit to be created. Hi, Smiley.
0: (laughs) So, in a nutshell, Stranger Danger, we can come at it with counter conditioning. We can come at it with trying to build some positive associations and we go work with the dog uh, to their preference of learning. We always distinguish making sure that it is actually stranger danger first. Otherwise, we could potentially create a really dangerous uh, scenario where we think we're kind of conditioning, but we've already got a really confident, protective dog. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also need to look at the background of the dog as well. Like, How's the overall emotional health of the dog? How's their mental state? Are they in a frame of mind where they're actually going to be able to learn New skills, and decompress, and rest, and recover, and process the information. We try to teach them in the in the training sessions.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, and in terms of you know, with if, if it's something that out you know, inside or outside, um, whatever the uh, whatever angle oh, you want to come up to. I feel lonely. Um, when it comes to inside the house, first thing is safety. So you want to set your dog up in an area where they are safe as well as visitors are safe. Um, and, you know, when you're outside, again, we need to identify where the reactive response is coming from. You want to be able to be walking in areas where, they're, uh, where there aren't a treasure trove of people. Mm. But it'd be really good to get some more information from you. So... Um, if you want to take some video and have a look and, and let us know what, you, what your thoughts are or maybe if you send some videos to us then we can extend on this next week yeah, so we can dive absolutely. into it a little bit deeper. So if you want to send some more information to us, you can email us um, at hello at caninecaregivers.com.au uh, .com. .com. And what we will do next week is we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit deeper so that, you know, that way we can, if anyone else is dealing with this same issue, we can dive into it. So once we identify where the um, where the behaviour is coming from, we'll be able to give you a little bit more specific. So I hope that was helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank thanks, you guys. very much for listening, everybody. And thanks for the question. Yeah, really appreciate it. Have a nice week, guys. See ya. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers, Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers. A place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs so you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.